Hello and welcome back to Money Minutes. Just for that sound effect, I had to credit Muska666 on soundbible.com. I had to put a little note in the, uh, in the show notes on Patreon there just to be able to play that sound. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Let's do it again. Uh, so thanks, Muska. Um, so today I want to talk about uh, RSP versus TFSA. And when you should put money in one or the other. Um, obviously, in a perfect world, it would be great to max out both of them. Um, and I like when, when you go on uh, personal finance forums or sometimes you listen to certain personal finance radio shows and stuff or uh, articles where people are writing in and asking a question of the finance writer or whatever, sometimes it can be really discouraging because they're like, Oh, I uh, I maxed out my RSP and I want to know what to do next, or um, or I maxed out my TFSA and RRSP and I'm wondering what's the most tax efficient way to whatever. And meanwhile, you're just trying to sock away a couple hundred bucks and you've got like nothing going on, or very you know you're not any, anywhere close to maxing anything out. Um, and it's just a crazy dream to be able to max anything. So I know it can be really discouraging. Um, and so I wanted to talk about it on a really basic level, like if like if you were starting from nothing and and building your way from the bottom up. Um, and if there's anyone in the states listening to this, um, you can basically equate a TFSA and an RSP with a Roth IRA and a 401k. So the difference is inherently the same, but the tax laws are different, and the tax benefits and other uh, social benefits are going to be different um, in the states, but the the principles are the same. So TFSA is in a very simplistic form. It's money that you've already been taxed on. You've already paid your income tax on. So it's net money that you received uh, in your bank account from your paycheck. And you can take that already taxed money and save it, invest it, um, and then you'll never be taxed on it again, and it won't be considered income in the future at all. So if you take out um, money from your TFSA in retirement, and even if you take out all of it, like let's say you, let's say you had $100,000 in a TFSA, and then when you're 65, you pull $100,000 out of your TFSA and spend it or use it or whatever, or just put it in, in your bank account, um, that's not considered income for your year because you've already paid the taxes on the initial amount that you invested and even on any gains that you make in a TFSA through interest and through your investments, uh, that is all still considered taxes paid. You'll never pay taxes on it. That's why it's called tax-free savings account, even though why is it called a savings account when really we should all be investing in those accounts? But whatever. Uh, and then on the other hand, RSP or 401k is money that you are tax deferring. So it means that um, what you're doing is you're investing that money and the government is reducing your taxable income for that year that you put the money in your TF in your RSP. And so you pay less taxes, less income tax during that year. But in the future, um, when you do take that money out, um, 
usually after 65, but you can wait all the way up to technically 71. Um, they will want their piece. And that piece is going to be a lot larger because your money's been growing as you've invested it and you've been earning interest. And now you've got this really big pie and you're taking, uh, you're going to be taking chunks of it out every year. Um, starting at age of 71, you're required to start uh, withdrawing from it. You have to actually convert it um, to a, what is it, a RIF? And then you, basically it's the same thing, but you can't contribute to, can, can't contribute to it anymore. And then you uh, start pulling out money every year you're required to, and the government will count that as your part of your income for that year. So if you did want to take it all out in one chunk, that would be really detrimental because all of a sudden you would make a super high income that year and you would have to pay income tax on it. So uh, those are the differences. There's pros and cons to both. Um, I'm a huge fan of the TFSA, but you really need to get into the numbers and figure out what's best for your situation. Um, and you also have to think about what what's your plan for retirement. And if you're planning on working for a really long time, um, then you may want to invest in a TFSA, for example, because in retirement, you're going to be getting all kinds of income. There's um, the guaranteed income supplement, which if you are working, you're not likely to get. You have to be making less than 18600 if you're single, widowed, or divorced, or um, if you have a partner, including common law spouse, then you uh, then you have to be making less than 24000 to receive the full. Uh, oh, sorry. So that's o- OAS. Uh, yeah. Uh, the GIS Guaranteed Income Supplement is for low-income seniors. So if you're 65 or older, you live in Canada, and you're already getting OAS. So OAS is the old age security Trust me, I, I I can hear you groaning already. I hate reading up on this stuff, and I'm totally with you. I had to go down a rabbit hole this morning reading up on all this stuff. But it is something we should be thinking about because we need to know what these things are uh, so that we can make decisions now um, for our future. So old age security um, is, is uh, basically a, a government pension that we get just because we lived in Canada for over 40 years. If you lived in Canada less than 40 years, um, you get a reduced amount based on a proportional rate for the proportion of years that you lived in Canada. So if you only lived in Canada for 20 years before qualifying for OAS, then you'll only get half of of the amount. Um, You can also defer OAS um, until the age of 70 instead of taking it at 65. And if you defer the full five years, then you'll get 36% more in your monthly payments. But otherwise, um, for the OAS pension amounts for uh, July to September 2020, uh, the maximum monthly payment amount is $613. So it's an extra 600 bucks that you would get if you lived in Canada for 40 plus years. And that you get that just because you're old. So that's part of your retirement planning um and if you did wait the five years and only took it at age 70 then for 2020 
uh, that would be seven hundred almost seven hundred and fifty bucks. So thirty six percent more. So that's something to consider. So, um, and that counts as part of your income. And in order to get that, you have to be making less than one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars. Um, and they claw it back. So if you make anywhere between, um, se- uh, if you make more than $77,000, then they'll start clawing it back. And then once you reach $128,000, you won't get OAS at all. So it's really for, I don't want to say a low income, because if you're making less than a, a hundred, like if you're making a hundred grand uh, in retirement, that's pretty good money. Um, and we're talking twenty twenty dollars. We're not talking about future dollars because they will be in, like those amounts will increase over time with inflation and all that stuff. So let's just worry about like let's pretend that we were old right now. So you would be doing pretty good. So if you're making over one hundred twenty eight grand, I don't think you're going to be worried about the fact that you didn't get your six hundred bucks a month uh, OAS payment. But you should be aware that if you are planning on working in retirement, um. And so you probably have been working before, so you've been contributing to CPP. So that's the other thing. So the Canada Pension Plan is that mandatory retirement savings on our paychecks, uh, all of our CPP contributions, and we see the huge amounts going into our CPP plan. And that's basically the government saving for retirement for us. And it's hard, it's hard to calculate those amounts because it's not like readily available to us, but you can log into... Um, the Service Canada website. And I think they can give you an estimate, especially if you're getting closer to uh, retirement. I believe you can call them and they can tell you where your contributions are at and what you can expect to be receiving. So, um, but basically CPP is going to be uh, an amount that you're going to get monthly and it's going to be more than uh, OAS. And uh, you can also delay that too. So if you are working, you can delay all this stuff to the maximum. Uh, just be aware that we're not all going to live forever. So you need to con- keep your health in consideration too. Um, but especially if you're planning on working for a while, um, you've got to keep in mind that CPP, OAS, um, you wouldn't be getting GIS if the guaranteed increment income supplement if you were working because chances are you'd be making more than 18,000 or if you have a partner it's uh less than 24,000 to get the full amount um and then there's a couple other combinations or situations depending on you know whether your partner is receiving OAS yet or not and that's going to come down to you and your partner and and what the uh age differential is between you and who's retired or not retired yet so that's really personal. You have to look at it on a case by case. Um, but yeah, you have to con- keep all that stuff in mind. And also you have to keep in mind if you are going to be low income um, and you are still going to be working, then it may be beneficial to do TFSA or RRSP. So the whole point is you want to be thinking about your income in retirement. And so RRSP, we know that that will contribute to your yearly income for tax purposes. And we know that you're automatically going to be getting uh, CPP and OAS uh, eventually. And you may be entitled to uh, the 
the guaranteed income supplement GIS. Um, so in that case, you might look at your situation and say, okay, well, I've done my research. I've gone on Canada.ca and looked at the public pensions uh, page, which I'm going to link uh, in this post. And I've looked at the CPP. I've looked at OAS. I've looked at GIS. And I've thought about, you know, my spouse or my partner and maybe other income sources that I have or uh, whether I'm planning on working part-time or full-time or running my own side gig or whatever into retirement. And you might say to yourself, well, I don't, I want to make sure that my income doesn't increase too much further than $77,000 per year because then my OAS will start getting clawed back. It's not the end of the world. It gets clawed back at 15% um, of the difference. So they have an example here on the page. So for example, let's say you made 90 grand, which is more than 77,000. So you would take the difference, which is about 12 grand, and then you would take 15% of that difference, which would come out to 1800 bucks. Now the trick is that they actually pay you the full amount during the year. So like, let's say I was 65 now and I was still working, but I was getting OAS right now in 2020. So they would have been paying me the 600 bucks a month for this year. And then next year, like when I file my income tax for this year, they'll look and they'll say, oh, hey, you actually made more than $77,000. You need to pay it back and it's going to ding me on my taxes. So you need to keep that in mind. So if you are in that position right now where you are uh, older and you're collecting OAS and you are on the cusp of $77,000, then you need to keep that in mind and put some money aside to repay that amount um, because it will it will come due at tax time unless you can work your tax magic and make a couple deductions or something and make it go away. But um, it could actually amount to be a lot. But chances are, you know, if you're making over $77,000 a year and you are getting a clawed back, you probably have a couple thousand dollars set aside to pay that back anyways it's not the end of the world i mean think about it worst case scenario you have to pay it back but you've been holding that money throughout the year so you could have just put it in a in a uh in a high interest savings account and just been making you know a couple bucks off of it to hold hold on to it for the government right um anyway so i know that sounds really complicated and we've gone through I've said a lot of abbreviations and we've talked about crazy retirement stuff um, with a bunch of theoretical numbers that we don't know because they're, they're very personal to each of us, but um, it's not really that complicated. It, I just really wanted to give you broad strokes. So just consider the fact that you will have income sources in retirement. I know it doesn't seem like it, but a lot of people uh, actually end up better off in retirement because you start getting all those benefits and you're still able to work. So now you have like all these streams of income coming in. And so you do want to be careful about, um, about your planning. And so if you do think you're going to be working and you're going to be having a, a strong income in retirement, or for example, like me, I've got a defined benefit pension I really feel like I'm rubbing it in your guys' faces every episode I'm talking about it, but that's like my situation and that's the most defining uh, piece of my retirement puzzle, I guess. So 
I, I hope, I hope you don't feel bad um, that I have a defined benefit pension, but I, but I am going to have one and it's going to be a pretty good one. So for me, when I think about it um, with a strong pension, and then I'll also be receiving uh, the CPP Canada pension plan, and I'll also be receiving OAS. So there's a very strong possibility that my income could start reaching those levels where I would get an OAS clawback. Um, and so someone in my position might want to consider maxing out their TFSA first instead of their RRSP. There's also another part of my situation that makes me go TFSA, and that is because I want to use the money sooner than when I'm 65. Um, if you pull money out of an RRSP before 65, you get penalized very severely. Um, the only, you know, there's a, there's a couple exceptions. You can use it to, you can borrow from your RRSP to go uh, back to school and to put a down payment on a house. But in both of those cases, you have to pay yourself back. And that's why I really hate the home buyers program because, um, like, think about it. I'm going to save up in my RRSP for a down payment on a house. And then I'm going to buy a house, which is a super huge financial investment. And I'm going to take on additional expenses like property tax and additional maintenance and probably higher utility bills and maybe have to buy furniture and other things for my house, buy a lawnmower or whatever. And in the and maybe someone that's buying a house is also starting a family or something, and you have like all these extra expenses. And then at the same time, you also need to be paying yourself, like making payments on a loan back to yourself. Um, so that's just a bunch of extra stress and money stress that I don't need. I would I would prefer to just save up the money on the side, like in a TFSA or whatever. And then just put my down payment down on my house and not have to worry about it, not have that extra bill, that extra thing hanging out, looming over me. Um, I know that some people could say, oh, well, you know, when you renew your mortgage or whatever, maybe you can pull some equity out of the house, get a home line of credit or whatever. And there's all kinds of things you can do with house, with property equity to pull money out and then pay yourself back. But I don't want to overcomplicate things or owe more money just because, you know, I didn't want to save it separately. Yeah, it's great because, you know, you want money in your RSP to grow and um, get those tax benefits. But um, it's just not, an, uh, not a good situation. So uh, that's why I don't like that. And that's why, like, everybody I've talked to has felt pretty much the same way that it doesn't really make sense to borrow money from yourself for a down payment on a house. It's just so much extra stress, especially nowadays with homes being so expensive, even condos that, um, your mortgage payments are going to be so high and the property tax is already so high because the property costs are so high that it's just in, in a lot of cases, it's, infeasible to be saving uh extra money on the side to be paying yourself back um and then in most cases you're gonna be 
you're going to be doing that instead of also saving up for retirement because you can't do all these things. Like that's the one thing I've learned as someone growing up in the nineties and two thousands and on on in this day and age, it's like, it really feels like you have to pick your battles and you're not going to be able to have it all. Like, can I have a home and kids and go on vacation and save for retirement? No, absolutely not. Uh, there's no way. Um, can we have two cars? Uh, no. Can I, can I buy an electric car? No, I can't afford that. Like, there's absolutely no way. So at this point in my life, the only thing I can afford is saving for retirement. And hopefully in the future, I'll be able to take a vacation somewhere. Um, but the idea of buying a house is just completely out there. It's just not possible. Uh, I talked to Tim about this and he was talking about how um, it was really important for him when he bought a house that he waited until they were in the right position so that if one of them lost their job, that they would still be able to make that mortgage payment, even as tough as it would be. And I think that's really important because nowadays you see a lot of people are leveraging their entire um, household income against this house. Like if anybody loses, if any one person loses their job, they're not going to be able to make that mortgage payment. There's just so high that it just, you know, it's, it's not, you really have to have a strong emergency fund. If, if you or your spouse lost your job, you wouldn't be able to make your mortgage payment because that is a scary situation to be in. And I, I know, I know what you're thinking. Okay. But they could get a HELOC a uh, home equity line of credit or borrow against their house or whatever to see them through. But I mean, when you've just gone through a really difficult stage, like losing your job or something, the last thing you want to do is be getting into more and more debt so that by the time you get back on your feet, you know, you can start moving forward instead of having to clean up uh, for the past. Right. So I think that's really important. And when I look at it that way, I just, I can't, I can't look at, oh, well, Aletha and I could buy a house together. I have to look at it like, could either one of us afford to pay a mortgage on a house? And the answer is no. And I'm just not, I'm just too risk averse to go down that road. So anyway, I took a huge detour, but um, I wanted to be encouraging and uh, talk about TFSAs and RSPs. I know we talked about all kinds of old age pensions and benefits and things but they're they they are really important they're part of that puzzle um and when you're thinking about rsp versus tfsa you need to think about your income in retirement and then make that decision based on where you're at now so the other part of it is if you're not making a lot of money right now then chances are you're going to be better off investing in a tfsa um, because one, your income in retirement is probably going to be less. And two, the tax benefits aren't going to be as great because the greatest tax benefit from, uh, putting money in an RSP is to reduce your taxable income. And that makes the most sense, the higher and higher tax bracket you're in. So if you're already in a low tax bracket and already paying very minimal tax, it really doesn't benefit you as much as if you were in a much higher tax bracket and you needed to reduce your taxable income. 
And for all those people out there that are like me that have defined benefit pensions, um, especially in the military, just know that when you have a defined benefit pension that you're contributing to in your paycheck, they've already done the math for us. You actually do get uh, a tax benefit from that, just like an RRSP. And it also reduces your RRSP contribution room already as well. So you need to be aware of that and be checking the uh, CRA website and logging into your account and everything to make to double check your uh, RRSP contribution limits. So if you are aggressively saving in an RRSP as well as paying into a pension plan, uh, you need to make sure that you don't over contribute and get penalized for that. So make sure you're logging in and checking that out. And same thing with the TFSA. Um, it It is your responsibility to keep track of it, but the CRA does, uh, Canada Revenue Agency does also keep track of it, but there's, I've heard anecdotally that their number may not be accurate all the time. So it really is up to you and it's a huge pain in the butt if you have to go to court um, to appeal like a, a judgment that they put on you for over contributing to your account because they're really tough about that. So, um, but it's pretty simple to do the math. And if you only have one or maybe two TFSA accounts, um, it should be pretty straightforward to track your contributions over time. And just keep in mind that that amount is your contra- your contribution limit. So it doesn't take into account the amount that it's grown. It can grow as high as you want. So if you invested, if you had a maxed out TFSA back in February and you put it all into Tesla stock or something and it, you know, went up 10 times and so you went from 100000 to a $1 million in your TFSA, that's fine. It's all tax-free growth and you didn't bust your contribution limit. You still contributed the amount that you were supposed to. Um, Actually, I'm not even sure someone could have 100,000. You would have had to grow that. You couldn't have 100,000 just in contributions. But um, anyway, so don't quote me on that. I think it's like the maximum you could have right now is like 60-something thousand. It depends on what year you were 18 because uh, you only start getting contribution room when you turn 18 So for your TFSA. And that's actually a really good point. If you're super young, um, I believe you can start contributing to RRSPs as soon as you start working, uh, which could be as early as 16, I believe. Um, But you don't get access to a TFSA until you're 18. So if you are 16 and you really want to go for it, then I guess you could put it in an an RRSP. So So I hope I didn't confuse you guys more than I explained. Um, Please leave me some feedback. Give me a question, um, and I will research it and get back to you. Um, and yeah, finance, personal finance is personal. So definitely make a decision based on your situation and not my situation. Um, if you want to talk more about TFSAs and RRSPs, I'm more than happy to talk about that. Uh, but this episode's getting really long, so I'm going to leave it here, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.